Good morning. We are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount with Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 7 through 11. Uh, In the Blue Bible, I think we're on page 800 and 12. So, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Uh, Please read along silently as I read out loud. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Prepare our hearts, O Lord, to accept Your word. Silence in us any voice but Your own, so that in hearing Your word we may also obey Your will, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So this is the second time uh, in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has talked about prayer. If you recall in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 16, Jesus describes to us the Lord's Prayer, the one we just prayed. What then follows are some precepts, such as not to love money, instead love God, not to be anxious, instead seek the kingdom of God, and of course, not to be a hypocrite, but instead extend grace to one another. One question that comes to mind with all of these precepts that Jesus has given us is how? How do I accomplish all of this? Our text today is quite clearly about prayer. In the context we just spoke about, Jesus explains prayer, gives us precepts for us to follow, and then ends with an exhortation to pray. Jesus is not only commanding us to pray, but he's also reminding us of a deep promise that God will answer and grant our prayers. But do we really trust in prayer? Do we think that God answers our prayers? A few months ago, just before Thanksgiving, I was enjoying my morning with my wife. I was drinking coffee, enjoying some coffee cake. I discovered that I had a broken tooth, and it shattered. It was just gone. First thing I thought of, of course, was a dentist. I thought of how I need to make an appointment, schedule this to have it fixed. I thought of Thanksgiving, am I going to be able to enjoy my turkey and stuffing? But you know who I didn't think of? I didn't think of God. After all, God isn't going to fix my tooth No, a dentist is going to do that. Likewise, if I get a headache, I don't instantly think about God. I just take some Advil. How about you? When you are hungry or thirsty, do you pray for food or water? Or do you just open the refrigerator and turn on the faucet? Do we pray for shelter or safety? Or do we just assume these things? We have a term for this, of course. It's called taking something for granted. 
And I am certainly guilty of this. Not only taking things for granted, but also taking prayer for granted. It isn't that I'm not a believer or that I don't think prayer is important. It's just that for many things, many things, our culture has engineered a solution. We do not go hungry, generally, or thirsty. We are reasonably able to have shelter. We have all the basic needs of life available to us. Our society has generated a reasonably safe environment where we can call the police, fire, or EMS. We can turn to our governments for security. No laughing. We have jobs also for security. So oftentimes we may reserve God and our prayers for those really big things like death, life-threatening issues, or our children's well-being. Here in the past several years, we have seen our society respond to the pandemic, social unrest, a worsening economy, and here lately, the war in Ukraine. Whether or not we admit it, these are some serious stressors that we deal with on a daily basis. Stressors which are not only present, but also exacerbated by the horrific, senseless, and all-too-real events of Uvalde and other tragedies. Does prayer work? Some comments that I have seen on social media for some of our elected officials are not only skeptical, but they actively cry out, forget your prayers. Forget your prayers. So yes, we can be very skeptical of prayer. These events in our life, these stressors and traumas, beg the question, do we really believe God will help us? That he will answer our prayers and give us what we ask for? Where the world tells us to forget our prayers, Jesus is telling us here that prayers are essential for your relationship with God. Just as essential as your food is to your life, Jesus is telling us that our sustenance, our daily walk with Christ, our daily relationship with God begins with prayer. So instead of abandoning prayer, we should be continuous and confident in prayer. As we've already seen in our text, we have something that should be grabbing our attention. Anytime when we are reading scripture and we see something that is repeated, either in the same verse or back-to-back verses, alarm klaxons should be sounding off in our heads. And here we see both. Verse 7 says this, ask, seek, and knock. These are all metaphors for prayer that are repeated three times in this verse and then again in verse 8. Ask, seek, and knock. Jesus is telling us to pray, pray, pray. Our text refers to continuous prayer in a way that is not only about repetition, but also in activity and with a reverent attitude. Asking, seeking, and knocking are all metaphors for prayer, yet all are verbs that are active and present, giving a persistent sense to the words. The ways in which prayer is continuous within our text is not only about this persistence, this repetition, we ask, we seek, we knock, but also in the continuous reminder of who we are, who we are praying to, and what we will receive. This repetition is about 
persistence, not nagging, and certainly not grandstanding. It's not about putting on a show for others. If we recall in Matthew 6, verses 7 through 8, Jesus says this just before explaining the Lord's Prayer. He says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So we can ask, what is the difference between being persistent in our prayer and being a pest in our prayer? depends on whether we think we are children of God. Do we see ourselves as children of God? It also depends on whether or not we truly believe that God hears our prayers and whether God actually answers them. We pester or nag someone because we think they need to be reminded or informed of our needs. But God knows our needs, just as we have read in Matthew 6, verse 8. We also pester and nag because we want to convince someone who's unwilling into a course of action, specifically a course of action that satisfies our desires. And we also nag someone as a way of bullying them into making a decision that favors us in some way. If we are doing all these things, then yes, our asking is more in line with nagging, with pestering, rather than persisting. And if we're nagging, then perhaps we have our doubts about whether God truly answers our prayers. We can put to rest the notion that God does not hear or answer our prayers right from the get-go. Just as Jesus says to pray, 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 to ask, to seek, and to knock, he says it will also be given. You will find and it will be opened. This is also repeated in verse 8. In the same manner as the exhortation to pray. Not only does Jesus fervently remind us that God hears our prayers and answers them, but that God does so in a way that is far better than anything we could ever hope for or expect. God wants to feed you, to adorn you in splendor. After all, look at what he does for the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. But the answer to our prayer is not always immediate. Perhaps the answer to our prayer is for us to be patient, to wait. But continuous prayer is encouraged and expected. This is not a call for nagging, but one of persistence. It is prayer that is seeking to understand. It is prayer that is continuing to ask the question until the matter is resolved. This continuous prayer can be like talking with a friend about something that was traumatic that you endured. There's just something about talking through difficult situations that can give you peace of mind. How many of us have sat with a friend experiencing divorce or the death of a loved one or the loss of a job? Letting them talk through the event is enormously beneficial and therapeutic. It allows them to vent their feelings in a safe way. It allows them to ask why. This venting reminds me of a lament psalm. A lament psalm is one in which the psalmist cries out to God in times of deep trouble or trauma. Psalm 13 is a great example of a lament psalm. Let's notice how it starts. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
Clearly, this psalm of David shows great distress, the apparent feeling of abandonment by God. Here, the psalmist is crying out to God, trying to understand why trouble is heaped upon him. As a child of God, we can turn to our Father and ask. We are encouraged clearly to do this and to do it often. Even if it's just about venting our feelings and lamenting over the sad state of affairs that our life has become, even if we feel we are abandoned. Of course, persistent prayer is not all about venting our feelings. Perhaps this consistent prayer puts us in what has been described as a better frame of mind or helps us to purify our desires. Our prayer can be very improper. Parker Palmer, an author and a Quaker, says this, The prayer may be insolent, dictating to the Almighty rather than supplicating his favor. It may be arrogant, claiming as a right what can only be accorded as a privilege. It may be presumptuous, disregarding, like that of Cain, the appointed way of approach to the mercy seat. It may be intensely selfish, having regard only to the creature's advantage rather than to the honor of him who is supreme. It may be impertinent, robbing God of all discretion in the time and mode of the answer. In these and other conceivable ways, the spirit of true prayer may be wanting. Continuous prayer may help us to root out what is improper with us may help us to align our will to God's will, or it might help us to see that what we are praying for is really not very healthy for us. At any time, we can sit and pray to our Heavenly Father. We can ask, we can converse. Jesus is inviting us into this relationship with God as his children, all while letting us know that what we are needing in prayer will be provided You can ask God for whatever is on your heart. Whenever and wherever you are, you can ask God. You can ask because you are in a relationship with God. But just because we are asking for one thing, perhaps even seeking that out, knocking on those doors, doesn't mean that we get what we want. There's a difficult truth in the text. There is a descriptive word for who we are that I think we probably gloss over all too fast. In verse 11, Jesus calls us evil. Evil. Now, I know nobody here would really describe yourself as evil. When I think of evil, I think of Stalin or Hitler. I certainly don't think of me. So instead of focusing on that evil statement, I tend to skip over it. And focus on the fact that, yes, I do know how to give good things to my children. I tend to focus on all those good qualities that I have. I like to say that I am in pursuit of Christ. But I have to also remember that by comparison of me to Jesus, I am evil. Certainly, I'm still a sinner. However, I don't want you to feel like you are the scum of the earth. But we should remember that we do not know all things that we think we do. This threefold petition, asking, seeking, knocking, holds for us something else. 
Not only that we are sinners and fall short of the glory of God, but that we are his children and we are praying to the Almighty Father. Jesus instructs us in Matthew 6, 9 to pray to our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When we remember the holiness of God, when we remember what he has revealed to us in Scripture, we are better prepared to offer prayer. Certainly, whatever we ask for will be heard by God and will be answered by God, just as the text says. But that does not mean that my prayers for abusive control of money or power, for illicit relationships, or for malicious intent will be answered in an affirming way. I may want them to be answered in this way. I may want to hear from God that all that I want is acceptable and that all is permissible. But I must remember that God is the one who is holy and I am not. Asking, seeking, and knocking imply this continuous and persistent prayer. The words are metaphors for prayer, but they're also different from each other. Asking is different than seeking. Seeking is different than knocking. When we seek, we are looking for something. We are investigating and examining. Likewise, knocking implies a physical activity of wanting to step through into a different place. There are those who will equate this seeking and knocking to looking for the answers, or this seeking is about prayerful reading of Scripture. Indeed, there are certainly those who will equate this seeking and knocking to something along the lines of discernment via the text of the Holy Bible. And to be sure, the Holy Spirit will guide you back into Scripture not away from it. But let us consider this, that what we are seeking and knocking for, we already have. In Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you are a Christian today, you are part of the kingdom of God through grace. This grace is a gift that has been given to us through Jesus Christ. This exhortation to prayer, wherein Jesus tells us that we should ask, seek, and knock, is this reminder that we are in a relationship with God as our Father. Seeking that, we will find it. Because we already have been given this great gift. What more could we possibly need or desire? Well, of course, we are creatures who struggle with sin. Even though we are adopted children of God, even though our sins are imputed to Christ and his grace is imputed to us, we don't always live like the grace-filled Christians that we are. We may know what we should do, but we don't always do it. Our prayers may seem to be loving, kind, merciful, and selfless, yet the answer to our prayer is still no. Often this can lead us to be very hurt or very disappointed. Sometimes seemingly unanswered prayers or prayers that are drastically incomprehensible can lead to pain and sorrow. There are so many examples where I can think that our prayers have failed. Most often we can feel the pain of this perceived failure in the loss of our loved ones. This can drastically shake our confidence in prayer. There have been many times in the life of the church universal that people have either been told this directly 
or inferred it in some way that if we just had more faith, would have gotten what we wanted in prayer. We might even think that sin in our life is somehow being purged through the punishment of unanswered prayer. If that were the case, then would any of our prayers be answered? Sin can certainly hinder our prayers. But they are hindered by the sinful condition of our hearts, not for the lack of God's grace. God does not dangle grace like a carrot on a stick. It's a gift given to you through Jesus Christ. I want to assure you, the promises of Jesus are real and reliable. As we look at the parable in verses 9 through 11, Jesus is reassuring us of this loving promise. What father, what parent would give their children a stone when they ask for bread? The implied answer is no one. And yet we are still evil. So how much more does God, our Father, who is infinitely holy, give to us when we ask? The answer is sometimes elusive to us. Jesus is not telling us that our desires are granted, but that God will ensure that what we get is far more wonderful and wholesome than any parent can give, even if we do not understand. John Stott says this, It is absurd to suppose that the promise, ask, and it shall be given, is an absolute pledge with no strings attached. That knock and it will be open to you is an open sesame to every closed door without exception. And that by the waving of a prayer wand, any wish will be granted and every dream will come true. This idea is ridiculous. It would turn prayer into magic. The person who prays into a magician and God into our servant who appears instantly to do our bidding. Likewise, our lived experience might interfere with the explanation of this text. Jesus is describing the love of God with a parable of the love of an earthly father. We should be seeing this text through the eyes of children that are looking up to a loving, heavenly father who wants nothing but the best for his children. But all too often, our own experience is less than ideal. People are evil. Parents are fallible. There are stories and experiences of abuse at the hands of parents towards their children. There's no excuse for such behavior. But if this is your experience with your mother or father, I want you to know that your heavenly father does love you and that you are cherished far beyond what you think you deserve. We should have trust in our prayers because God provides for our daily needs in ways that we often take for granted. Persistence of prayer is encouraged and God's response is guaranteed because of the great and gracious love of our Father in heaven. We heard from Psalm 13 earlier, and I call your attention to the closing verses. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Our Heavenly Father's love for us should be readily apparent in the ways that God has revealed himself. How beautiful is the sunrise and sunset. How great is the start of every day and the beauty found in creation when we know the Creator. 
How much more is a revelation of Scripture that points us in the way of salvation? And how great is the sacrifice of His Son for our sake? Asking, seeking, and knocking should move us in the direction of Christ. It should move us to be in pursuit of holiness. It should be part of our sanctifying walk, but it should also lead us to understand and hopefully grasp that we have already been given something incredible and life-changing, the gift that leads to eternal life and eternal peace. The world tells us to forget our prayers. Jesus tells us that prayers are the basis of all of our daily needs, the building blocks of our spiritual nutrition. This just isn't prayer to begin our day, but prayer that is continuous and confident throughout our day. We ask, we seek, and we knock for that which has already been gifted to us, the gift of grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, with whom all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works proceed, give to us the peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, and that you defend us from our enemies who lie in wait. Help us, gracious God, to pass our time in the rest and quietness through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.